Well, good morning. Peter Lamont here. Thanks for joining me for another edition of Business and Legal Q&A Live. Today is March 24th, 2015, and we've got two questions, one business, one legal, like we always do. Before we get to those questions, I just want to make a few announcements. First, I want to thank today's sponsor, and today's show is sponsored by Constant Contact. Um, you know, as you might have heard me speak about in the past, we use Constant Contact as a way of compiling our newsletter list, our email list, and uh, it, it's really a functional and easy-to-use um, program uh, or website, I should say. And it, it's really been good to us over the years, and we're happy to have them sponsoring the show. They're providing all of our listeners with a free 60-day trial, which is pretty good because you get two full months um, to try them out and see if you like them. And in order to take advantage of that offer, all you have to do is go to our website, utlradio.com, and click on the link, which is about a third of the way down the page. Um, you'll see free 60-day trial uh, at Constant Contact, and give it a shot. We use it for everything. Our newsletter went out yesterday, and it went out through Constant Contact. So um, I can't say enough about them. The customer service is good. The support's always good. So we're happy to have them on board with the show. also want to thank Audible. Audible, as you might know, um, is is the leading provider of audiobooks on the Internet. And, you know, when you're so busy, especially trying to run a business or multiple businesses, it's really difficult to pick up a book, even if it's a book that's uh, instructional or uh, about business or entrepreneurship or anything like that. So having Audible is great because you can just stream or download the books directly to your iPhone or your iPad or your computer, and you can listen to it, you know, when you have some time, whether you're in the shower or in the car. Um, so it's great, and I use it all the time. It helps me get through a lot of books. Um, Audible is also providing our listeners with a special offer. Uh, they're going to give you a free trial and a free book. Uh, all you have to do is go to ut. Uh, I'm sorry, you have to go to uh, audibletrial.com forward slash utl radio, and you'll get a link. That'll give you a, uh, a free audiobook. So thanks again to them. Also, I want to thank everybody who has has left comments and subscribed to our YouTube page, uh, or has has subscribed on our Blog Talk Radio site, which is where we host our live podcast. Um, as we've been doing for the past month or so now, we've been streaming simultaneously a live YouTube um, show. And that works in conjunction with the audio podcast, which you can download, subscribe on iTunes. So um, we've gotten or received a lot of, uh, of comments on that and, and feedback, and all of it's been positive, so I thank you for that. Uh, one last reminder before we get into today's question. I told you last week that the website, utlradio.com, has been updated, and there's a pretty cool feature on it. It's the Ask Your Question tab. And if you go to the Ask Your Question tab, there is a, a box in the middle of the page where you can just click on it and you can record right to your computer or to your smartphone a question that you might have for us on the show that we will answer on the Tuesday program. And if your question is picked, as always, you're going to receive a free mug and T-shirts are back in stock, so you have a choice of a mug or a T-shirt. Um, so far, since we've been doing a live business and legal Q&A, we've been getting emails and texts and other methods of communication, even some faxes, believe it or not, with questions. And that's how we've been taking the questions. But with this feature, it's a it's a plug-in from SpeakPipe. It's pretty cool. 
you can just record your question. We can play live on air, and it, it's going to add a dimension, I think, to the broadcast as well. So I encourage you to do that. It's obviously free. Uh, everything we do here is free, meant for your, your own benefit to help you either educate yourself on the law or answer some general questions about business and how to succeed and that sort of thing. So shout out utlradio.com. And that's going to do it for announcements. So let's get to the first question of the day. And the first question is from Tyrese. He wants to know, what is pretrial discovery? So a fairly common question that I see, what is pretrial discovery? What does that mean? And I see it a lot with people who are representing themselves or the pro se. Um, but if you're going to file a lawsuit, even if you're going to go through an attorney, it's important that you understand the components or the phases of your lawsuit, of your litigation, so that you kind of know, all right, well, here's what's going to happen next. And unfortunately, I think attorneys are notoriously bad for expecting their clients to just know what's going to go on and know what's next, and then they get annoyed when you ask a question. So this will hopefully enlighten you a bit about pretrial discovery. So Tyrese, it's a good question. Um, so in general, after you file your lawsuit, uh, with a complaint and the answer is submitted, that's called the pleadings phase. There's this period of time where all of the parties involved in the litigation are able to exchange documents and information, obtain testimony, obtain reports and records, and discover, in a sense, evidence that would help either support or disprove somebody's claim. So that discovery period is really what makes up the bulk of litigation. That's, that's the most important part because when you file a lawsuit as a plaintiff, 99.9% of the cases, you have the burden of proof to establish that whatever it is that you're claiming, whether it's age discrimination or negligence, that you need to be able to prove that. And you have to prove that through admissible evidence that you could submit to a court that can be um, discussed with a jury, and then they can make a decision. If you don't meet your burden of proof as a plaintiff, then your case is going to be dismissed at a later stage. So discovery is really the most important part, and I think that it gets sometimes because people focus on the pleadings and what, what's being said in the complaint. Well, discovery is really where you need to focus, and you as either a pro se litigant or as a, a client being represented by an attorney, this is where you're going to need to give some input to make sure that your attorney knows everything that you know because that's how they're going to be able to either prove your case if you're a plaintiff or defend against that case if you're the defendant. So this pretrial discovery means the exchange of documents and information prior to the trial. It can be in the form of discovery demands, written demands. And they're called a whole bunch of things, you know, depending upon what jurisdiction you're in. You could serve interrogatories, which are questions that, that have to be asked and answered, and they're in written form. You could serve a request for production of documents where you're looking for documentation from somebody. You could serve a notice to admit or a request for admissions, um, Certain states like, like California, New York, they've got their own terminology for things, and they have some unique discovery devices. For example, in New York, you have something called the Bill of Particulars, and you don't have that same device 
in New Jersey, but you can still get that information. It's just through the use of a different device. Um, but all of these things that I'm referencing, um, insurance requests, expert witness reports, those are all written discovery. And you serve them on the other side. They get them. They read them. They respond to them. Sometimes they object to the demands. Uh, sometimes they produce documents in response to those demands. I'll give you an example of a written demand. So, for example, let's say you have a negligence case, and your question was about a landlord's maintenance of a premises, and you're looking for all repair records to, let's say you fell down the stairs, all repair records concerning this particular stairwell up until the point of the accident back five years. So you want to see how many times in the last five years prior to your accident uh, the, damage, uh, the stairs were damaged or repaired or reported and not repaired. So you'd ask for that, and the landlord would go back, go through his records, and submit to his attorney what he thought would be responsive to the question. And then you'd get that, and if it had nothing, well, then that doesn't help to prove your case. But let's say that there's a complaint there by a tenant and Nothing was done. Well, now maybe you'll be able to establish as the plaintiff that the landlord had notice of a defective condition but didn't do anything with it. So that's how that written discovery can help you, if you're the plaintiff, prove your case. Um, you know, Conversely, what if the landlord defends that action and says, I had no notice of the condition. In fact, I think this condition was created by the plaintiff. And then the landlord goes back and says, look, here are my maintenance records on the stairs. And as you can see, once a week, the stairs were clean. There was no report of any sort of defective condition. Cracks, no this, no that. That would help the landlord defend that claim. So that's written discovery. And the next part of discovery is depositions, oral testimony. So oral testimony is where you're going to either take the defendant or plaintiff, or a witness, somebody has no real connection, no interest in the outcome of the lawsuit, and you're going to bring them into either a courtroom or to a lawyer's office, and you're going to sit them down and ask them a series of questions. And this deposition is conducted in front of a court reporter, and they will swear the witness in, and your testimony is given the same force and effect, the same weight, as if you were testifying in front of a judge and a jury. So you've got to tell the truth. And if you don't tell the truth, your testimony, which is uh, put into a booklet called a deposition transcript, I'm sure that you've seen on TV, whether it's on the news or, or in, a, in a, you know, a drama on TV, the court reporter, the stenographer, taking down what is being said during a trial hearing or a motion hearing. Well, it's the same thing for a deposition. You've got a stenographer, a court reporter. Uh, I don't use the little machines anymore. They'll primarily use their laptops. But they're taking down verbatim what's being said, and then that goes into a deposition transcript, which you can use at the time of trial. And there's so many reasons why you can use a transcript, but we're not going to get into that today. I just want to answer Tyrese's question concerning what is pretrial discovery. And it is, like I said, the exchange of documents and information prior to the trial. One last point I want to make about it. Each state has their own separate rules with respect to how long a period of time you have to conduct 
that discovery. And if you don't conduct that discovery within the allotted time period, you could be barred from introducing whatever evidence you might have. So I'll give you an example. Uh, let's say that your state requires you to serve expert reports pri- 30 days prior to the end of discovery. Now, an expert report is critical in a lot of cases because you need a third-party expert to testify about something that happened in your lawsuit. So let's say that uh, it was a partnership dispute, and you need to be able to show that your partners took money illegally and did not share the profits with you. You might need to hire a forensic accountant to testify that he has read through the records and believes, based upon a reasonable degree of accounting certainty, that they did, in fact, steal money from you. You need experts to testify to that. You can't testify to that on your own without having somebody to bolster that. You know, it just doesn't hold the same water to say, here's what happened. But if you bring an expert in that says, yes, I do this for a living, and I concur with the plaintiff's allegations that they did, in fact, take money from him. Well, you need that, right? It, let's say you know you were required 30 days before uh, the end of discovery to submit that report, and you don't. Court could say, hey, no, you're not allowed to bring that expert in. And then at the time of trial, what do you do when you're on the stand saying, my partner stole money from me? You don't have an expert witness, but the defense does. And they say, no, we've reviewed it, and there's no discrepancy. We, you know, these, these guys didn't steal any money from the other guy. What do you do? You can't defend that. That's expert testimony against nothing. It's you. And who is the jury going to believe? The expert testimony. Uh, We can talk about, if you have questions about experts and expert testimony and what the purpose is, ask those questions, submit them through the website, utlradio.com, and we'll get to them on another episode. Uh, But that that answers or should answer Tyrese's question about pretrial discovery. Now let me get into our business question of the week. And that is submitted by Jason. His question is, what should I do if an employee worked unapproved overtime? Do I have to pay them? Because what does your gut tell you, right? Well, your gut tells you, maybe I, sh- I should pay them. I might have to pay them. But what does your heart tell you? Your heart is probably like, wait a minute, this isn't fair. Why should I pay somebody who worked overtime who wasn't approved to work overtime? That doesn't seem right doesn't seem fair. I remember when I worked for somebody, and I worked overtime, authorized, they didn't pay me, so why should I pay them? That's, I'm sure, uh, the argument that a lot of them have themselves over overtime. Now, the discussion, I don't know if Jason um, is an employer, a manager, or just asking a general question and didn't admit any context for this, but the answer to is good employees, employers, managers, because the answer is relevant to um, to all, all the positions that you could possibly hold. If you're an employer, you're going to know what you're entitled to, and if you're a manager or employer, you're going to want to know what your obligations are. Here is the rule, and you're not going to like it if you're an employer, okay? But here is the rule. You must pay the overtime. Nothing, no defense. If they work overtime, you must pay the employee. Now, does that mean 
that you have no control over your employees, that they can work overtime whenever they want, when they need a little more pocket change, they can just stay for an extra two, three, four hours? Clearly not. So what do you do about this? How do you combat this, this issue? Well, what you need to have, if you don't and you do have not enforcing it, now's the time to do it. Your policies and procedures, your handbook, your manual, your operating manual, your guidebook, whatever device you're using, you're giving to your employees to let them know what their solutions are, what the rules are about sexual harassment policy or about you know working conditions or report any of those things that you would give out to an employee. You need to or should have an overtime policy. Your business is one that deals in overtime. So if you're dealing with independent contractors, there's not overtime for independent contractors. They're paid for the work that they do. If you are salaried position, you might not be entitled to overtime depending upon the job qualification of what your title is. If you're management, if you're um, you know in a position that that Overtime doesn't apply, then obviously this doesn't apply to you. But for workers, it's going to apply. And you must pay them the overtime. But if you have a policy that says to your employees, overtime is not permitted without prior approval from management, then what you are able to do is either use your progressive discipline program or if they're just you know, at-will employees, and they violated the terms and conditions of your policies that you can't work overtime without permission, then they can be reprimanded or terminated. And that's how you, you know, stop this problem from occurring. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a case. Um, this case is a recent case, uh, and, it, and it deals with a woman, her name is Deborah. She was an hourly billing analyst, and she worked at her home office, and her hours were 8 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. She received a copy of the company's overtime policy. All right, So the company gave her the overtime policy. The overtime policy said that employees would be paid for all hours worked, but, quote, you must accurately record all of the time you work, including overtime hours, end quote. And it also said that workers must get manager approval or else they'd face discipline. And uh, the actual policy that they had submitted to the employees or given to them was, uh, before working overtime, you must get approval from your manager. Failure to obtain pre-approval for overtime will not void your entitlement to be paid for the time you work, but it may subject you to disciplinary action up to and including termination of employment. This is how they worded it in their policy book. And they're clearly identifying the fact that under labor law, they must pay for overtime. So they're not trying to hide that fact from employees. They're coming right out and saying, if you work overtime, you'll be paid. But if you don't get prior approval, you'll be subject to discipline and or termination. So Deborah's supervisor had pulled some time records and just doing a general audit. And what he found was that she had worked past 3.30, uh, 4.30 p.m. almost every day for three years. And the company ended up paying her a total of almost $10,000 in overtime. So they then, when they realized it, they fired her for violating the pre-approved overtime rule, and she went and she filed a lawsuit. So 
So in the lower court, she lost. She filed an appeal in the appellate division. And um, this, by the way, is out of the Court of Appeals in Minnesota. Um, when she filed that appeal, the judges on the panel, they sided with the company. And they said that um, you know, having this policy in place allowed them to be able to terminate her. And that as long as she was paid for the overtime, there were no further obligations. Um, now, what happened was that Deborah tried to apply for unemployment benefits, and the company contested them, and they said that she violated policy. Why should we have to be responsible for her unemployment? She was terminated for cause, and this is what led to the lawsuit. And this is one of her main points of contention that, hey, you know, I worked overtime, you paid me, now you fired me, and you're going to tell me that, you know, I'm not entitled to unemployment. Well, the Court of Appeals in Minnesota, uh, and the name of the case, just in case you're interested, is Weekert versus United Healthcare. Um, the court sided with the employer and said that she had committed misconduct by ignoring the overtime rule, plain and simple. So the moral of the story and the answer to Jason's question is you must pay employees for overtime that they worked so long as they are entitled to overtime. All right, and that's that's a key distinction because there are employees who are not entitled to overtime. If you have questions about that and you're an employer, you should talk to either your human resources uh, team, if you, if you outsource that, or if you have an attorney. Um, you need to be clear on who could potentially be entitled to overtime and who's not entitled to overtime. And then the next thing you need to do is you now know that you've got to pay employees is you need to make sure that you have for those employees who are would be entitled to it, some overtime policy that says, all right, you need pre-approval. Because where this company went wrong with um, their, their scenario, their case, is that they waited three years. They paid $10,000 to this girl for working overtime. $10,000 is a chunk of change. And what they should have done is they should have conducted audits or been more mindful of the amount of time that the employee was working. Because if you find somebody working overtime, unapproved, and you're catching it on a weekly basis, well, A, you're going to save yourself a lot of money as an employer, and B, it gives you an opportunity to correct something that might be done you know, inadvertently. Maybe, maybe the employee didn't mean it. Maybe they didn't understand it. Maybe they didn't read the overtime policy. All those things are possible. Um, but by doing an audit, by looking at what payroll is, looking at what hours people are working, even if you're in a larger company, it allows you to save money that you might pay out on overtime simply because you didn't look. Now, if, for example, you have a case like this where you have Deborah who is working overtime, she's violating the policy, and you catch her a week or two, well, then you have an option as the, as the employer. You call Deborah in and you say, listen, I'm not sure why, but you're working unapproved overtime. We are going to pay you for it. However, moving forward, you must be cognizant of the fact that there is this overtime policy, and if you don't get pre-approval, we're going to fire you. So they can give her a warning. Maybe, like I said, maybe she didn't know, she didn't read, she didn't understand, who knows. But it would give you as an employer or manager the opportunity to see if you can correct something that an employee is doing incorrectly. And maybe, maybe Deborah would have been a great worker. And maybe she was a great worker. If you had caught it early enough, you could have rehabilitated 
that uh, overtime issue, that policy violation. But again, that's your prerogative because as an employer, you could turn around and say, you violated the policy, I've paid you, goodbye. And in the case of um, of, of Weekert, um, you know, object or contest to the unemployment filing. Now, this again is out of the Court of Appeals in Minnesota. It could be different in your state. Generally speaking, though, these labor law cases, they do sort of extend into other states and, and similar outcomes you'll be able to find in your state. Um, with respect to overtime, though, it's pretty much across the board 50-state issue that if you're working overtime, you need to be paid for it. It's more of a federal requirement under federal labor laws than it is necessarily state. Um, so I think it's it's pretty safe to say that if your employees work overtime, you need to pay them. But that doesn't mean that you have to allow them to continue to do it and rack up $10,000 worth of overtime. You need to really be on top and and make sure you look at what what's going on. I think that one of the worst things that an employer can do is to not be engaged enough in the overall running of your business, your firm, your operation, whatever it might be. Uh, whether that means delegating to somebody else and then having them report to you, but having them know clearly what they should be looking for, or whether you do it yourself, depending upon the size of your business, that's what needs to be done so that you don't end up throwing away money um, you know, for somebody who's violating company policy. So, Tyrese, Jason, I want to thank you both for submitting your questions today. I hope that I answered them sufficiently. If there are follow-up questions, you can either leave comments on the YouTube page underneath the video. You can leave comments on Blog Talk Radio. You can contact us at utlradio.com. All of our links to social media, whether it's Google+, Facebook, Twitter, or our email address is there as well. Feel free to ask a question. Feel free to submit a question using the Ask Your Question tab on utlradio.com and record it, and then we'll be able to play it directly on the air during next week's show. So um, I want to thank everybody for listening. Thanks for downloading this podcast. Thanks for sticking with us. Um, we're trying to increase the amount of content that we put out, and your feedback is so important because it lets me know whether or not I'm doing the right thing, whether or not you like the uh, topics that we're touching on, whether the advice is helpful or not helpful. So please continue to support the podcast. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe to our newsletter or any other um, you know events or things that, that are coming up. We are working on getting those Thursday guests back for our Understanding Business segment, and so we're looking forward to that. We've got about 15 or 20 people in the works that are being scheduled and some of them are going to be really exciting. So I'm looking forward to that. I hope you are too. I just want to remind everybody to stick with us as we're transitioning and making some changes to the podcast and to the website. But if you look at the website, um, I'm pretty happy with some of the things that have been done. And I hope that you are too. But I want to hear from you. So please give us your feedback. Feedback it away. Even if there's something that you don't like, I'd rather know so we can make changes. Because, you know, you guys out there, that's why I sit here and do this. Um, I'm trying to help sort of break down that, that barrier, that wall uh, that exists, especially with legal information. Uh, so many times people will call a lawyer and they just want to know and answer a question. 
and they don't get the answer because the lawyer's too busy trying to see if they can get some some dollars out of them, some you know, some money somewhere. And I, you know, being a lawyer, I understand that we need to get paid, uh, but I also think that in a lot of the instances, a, a quick answer to a question helps somebody out more than a sales pitch on trying to get them in to to hire you. You know, if you need a lawyer, then you're going to go to a lawyer and you're going to understand that you're going to have to pay for the services. But if you're just looking for a general question or some direction if you're a pro se litigant or if you're just unsure what direction you're going to go in, I don't necessarily think you should be sales pitched. I, I think that's kind of offensive. So that's why we do this. But I need to hear from you guys whether or not it's working for you, what else you'd like to see on the show. So thank you again for joining me. Uh, we will be back live on Monday with the Business and Legal Week in Review with my co-host Bob Pease, and then back again next Tuesday. So you've got a full week to submit your questions, both legal and business, and we will address them on next week's show. We'll probably do a replay this Thursday of a prior Understanding Business interview and um, look for some videos that will be posted on YouTube this week with some law basics and some other topics. Our book our book review will be done uh, this month. We're going to be looking at a book by Lee Cockrell, uh, Time Management Magic. And if you know anything about Lee Cockrell, he's a former employee of Walt Disney World, and uh, he's had three, I think this is his third book. And his first two books were pretty good. We're going to review this one, and then uh, that will be up live on the YouTube channel later on today. So thanks again for joining me. I look forward to talking to you soon. And remember that there's power in understanding the law.